Hey. Hey. Jim? Hello. Hey. Back to the bin. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro, and this time out, I am joined by Chris Tyler, the hair metal hero. Hey! And Mr. Jim Dietz. Hello. Hello. Hello to both of you. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Doing fine. Just got the kids to bed. Yeah, <laughs> it's always an adventure, right? Especially, especially yeah. when your wife oh, is totally. working. Yeah, and it's bath night, so that made it even more fun. Yeah. <laughs> It's got to be tough, because I, I know you're a big dude, so it's got to be tough, like, trying to hover over the bathtub and help these kids out and stuff. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, I mean, I don't know, they're, they're like, too, they, they should be moving on to showers by now, <laughs> like, one is eight, one is about to turn six, and, but, anyway, yeah, so it's always fun. Yeah, So I'm you sure. wanted to talk, you said you wanted to talk about this TV show, what was it, um, yeah, uh, so, what, th- th- True Detective? No, wait, it was, uh, <laughs> it was Barry. No, it was. No, a, no, well, you know what? I'm, I'm afraid of giving. Oh, I'm, I'm afraid of giving out spoilers, but it's The Sopranos. Oh, no, there's nothing to spoil. It didn't have an ending. Yeah, really. But uh, to just to, to pull back the curtain, we are recording this on May 16th, so we are now in between the penultimate episode of Game of Thrones and the final episode, and. Even though this isn't technically a comic book topic, uh, it is in comic book form now. So it's, yeah, that is we true. can talk about it. But it, it is enough of a geek subject that I think we could talk about it regardless. And uh, well, we, I, you know, I don't want to go too far in depth, but I know one of the things I've complained about over the years, just in general, is the internet mob mentality. And mm-hmm. I got the impression on Monday when I saw one of Jim's posts on Facebook that he is. Feeling my pain as far as that goes at the moment. It's, it's not even it's that and the the sense of entitlement. You know, like oh we're like we are entitled for this to end this way that we, you know, surmised it would. And like they're like no, this is our story. You know, yeah. take it or leave it. Yeah. It's just um a lot of expectations. I think a lot of people's problems with the Last Jedi were were that too. They had yeah. certain <laughs> expectations. Well, let me in. tell you right off the bat, I enjoyed the list, Jedi. As so, did I. So, As did I. I, loved, I thought it was great. I cried. I literally cried. But uh, I was a little disappointed with this. Not a little. I was kind of disappointed with this episode of Game of Thrones. Not because of the, the path it took. But I, I really feel like what happened is they decided they need to end this show after eight seasons. And they took a show that was paced very slowly and methodically and it worked really really well for six seasons and for the last almost two full seasons they've just kind of rushed to the end and that's the biggest problem i have with the show that's my only complaint too is is last season and this season should have been 10 episodes i think that's my only frankly i think if you added a full season if you went for a ninth season and you went for the same exact storylines you're going with now but just let things develop a little bit more slowly as you went along i think the series would be better for it that's my biggest criticism yeah Yeah. that's, that's totally valid 
Yeah. I mean, one of the things is, though, by the time we got to Daenerys getting her fleet and crossing the Narrow Sea, that was the end game. It, it, there, at that point, it was barrel towards the conclusion. I think the writing was kind of on yeah. the wall anyway. Well, I think it's also, you know, the fact that George Martin hasn't written these stories yet. I'm sure he gave them an outline. Yes. But he hasn't given them the rich, slow right. development of these stories for them to key in on. So well, they're just kind of going with what he said the conclusion is, and let's just get there. Yeah. Well, right. there's also a ton more characters in the books, too. And I, I, I'm not going to read the books until they're all out. That's just the, my feeling about it at this point. But, uh, I mean, it's, when it, there's that many pages of stuff and that many secondary characters, it's not all going on the screen. you got to adapt yeah. it. I've, I've, but, read the, uh, I've read the books that have come out so far, and, like, the point where Jon Snow gets stabbed and, and uh, killed the first time, spoilers for, like, season five, I think, that was, <laughs> that was the point where it diverged from the books. Like, uh, that was the point he had written up to. Yeah, well, so, he, yeah, because he hasn't been resurrected in the books yet. Right, exactly, and but you're like, they're, they're right. They left out a lot of characters, like you know, um, you know, the the Stark mother, you know, Lady Stoneheart and stuff yes. in the books that isn't even in the show. And um, I mean, the I mean, obviously things have to be you know played out differently or whatever because it's television. But I just think that a lot of the complaints I saw about this episode were just uh, it just felt very entitled, like you know, oh. We, you know, we thought it was going to end this way, so now we're going to all sign a petition to get us to rewrite, you know, the the last episode that we just saw. And that's just, just stupid. Uh, <laughs> it, it, know, is, it is stupid. It, well, the, I mean, think I think a lot of the problem is is that, and I know that one of the big differences between the books and the show is in the books you get more of a sense of of Danny's um, more vicious tendencies. Well, I mean, uh, show, I, I think she's been pretty vicious on the show. People. Oh yeah, she's crucified people. She burned a whole ton of women. Yeah, to take over the so, Dothraki. But, she burned all the slavers to the ground. Tore down Marine almost, so the slaves could. I mean, she's been tearing. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I think the things she did leading up to this have felt more justified. They could be couched and, as justified. And yeah. the the descent into madness to me again was just a little too fast. Yeah. They needed to develop it a little bit more, and, and I would have loved to have seen that happen over, say, three episodes. Well, I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to argue against you for more episodes because no, I neither would, have, would I. I would have loved to have seen it more, you know. Of course. So but, pace, um, pacing is my biggest issue. Yeah, it certainly does have a pacing problem. I mean, and, they the showrunners wanted to end it after seven, so the fact that we even got two abbreviated seasons to to finish it out was kind of a, a minor miracle. Yeah, and uh, I but mean the production, just... the production values on that last episode, though. I mean, oh yeah, like the, you know the Clegane Bull thing between the mountain and the hound, with the you know the dragon flying in the background and the broken tower. I mean, geez, Louise. I mean, it was uh, you know the the set piece at the end was Arya and the horse, you know, and the ash just coming down all around her. I mean, the, oh, I mean, the production it, it value, the, the visual storytelling, you know, can't be beat. I mean, agreed. There might there are some like skips or whatever where they could probably have lengthened the story or whatever but i really thought that was a super strong episode it was i, mean, when, I totally when, agree. when the hound tells Arya to get out of there or she's gonna die and she then she thanks them i mean they've been together since what season two season three um somewhere around there they started hanging out together i mean this really but i was that thinking was like, that was out of character for her frankly because she just spent like six seasons learning how to be a skilled assassin. She's going in yeah. to kill Cersei, and then as they're walking up the sto- stairs, he says, go away, you're going to die anyway. And she says, okay. 
<laughs> you know, like it just well, seemed a little out of character to me. I to a point, but one of the big things though is when she leaves the the house of black and white, she says a girl is Arya Stock. At that point, she's she wants to go back and and have and be with her family. Not that she's forgotten what she's learned, but she remembers. Was, yeah, really. from the from the time Ned gets his head cut off to the time she gets back to Winterfell, it's she's looking for a family. She's looking for a, a purpose, and I think the most bitter person that she knows saying this doesn't have to end up being your fate is kind of a kind of a kick in the pants for her. I totally bought it. Now I, I agree with you, Jim, that the people's sense of entitlement that they have to get the story they wanted they wanted the fan fiction instead of whatever they were given. I agree with you totally on that, but the ones I feel sorry for, quite frankly, are the people who named their daughter Khaleesi or Daenerys, yeah, and, and right. now she's turning into the biggest villain of the piece. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of feel sorry for those people. Well, that's well, I think a lot of people are really just bitter about that. It's it's like... <laughs> well, everybody pictured her and John sitting on the throne together, holding hands. Right. And, you know, exactly. it's this is not a happy ending show. No, Ramsey... Uh, Bolton even calls it out. If you think this story has a happy ending, you clearly haven't been paying attention. Yeah. It's been signposted the whole way. Yeah. I don't mind not having a happy ending, and I don't mind my expectations to be subverted somewhat. I really don't mind that at all. In fact, I kind of enjoy when they surprise me with doing things. I just feel like, like I said, I, and my biggest complaint is the pacing. But I, I'd also there's certain things, certain beats I would like to see just because... I feel that they make sense. And one of the ones I'll give you is when Cersei dies, I really would have been more satisfied if she died at someone's hands. Yeah. As opposed to the roof, roof collapsing on them. Yeah, but she was with Jamie, and that she, kind yeah. of closes the loop on that all. I mean, from the very first episode when Jamie and Cersei are in the tower and Jamie pushes Bran out the window, you know, it's like it kind of ties the, the loop there with them dying. It does. Yeah, it totally does. It, it also <laughs> kind of eliminates his whole character arc where he grew. And yeah, but not became... every character arc is redemptive. I feel bad for Brienne now, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, but but before that even happens, they do have multiple times in the show, um, like when Tyrion and, and Jamie have their little secret meeting, he's like, you know, you know the real Cersei and you love her regardless of what she is. And he goes back to her at the end. She's carrying his kid, presumably. Like, he was yeah. a killer. And I thought for a long time he was going to end up being a queen slayer. But no, he went back to be with the mother of his child. I, I actually pictured in my mind, and again, this is fan fiction, so I don't mind them subverting what I picture. But I actually pictured a confrontation between Cersei and Tyrion, which ended up with Jaime killing her to protect uh, Tyrion. And somehow getting killed himself. That that Cersei and, and Jamie killed each other, but that it would be to protect Tyrion. That's that was my fan fiction version of it. Yeah, but he wouldn't have killed her. He saw how awful she was and still loved her anyway. That was their whole thing. You know. I mean look at the giant visual metaphor though of that being crushed under the weight of the castle. You know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. a, it's yeah. a really nice metaphor rather than you know having i mean it would have been cool larry jumped out of the ceiling and you know took off Cersei's head and, <laughs> she did you know, the exact same thing she did to the night king yeah, <laughs> and you know what and then if that but, happened yeah. everybody would be going oh she's a mary sue she's a mary sue and and that's right. to me that is the the stupidest criticism of the show bar none 
Because, as I just mentioned a couple of minutes ago, she spent six seasons learning to be a trained assassin. How, yeah. that make, how does that make her a Mary Sue? She's been at ninja school for Pete's sake. Yeah. You know? I mean, <laughs> the girl is an assassin. <laughs> yeah, and she caught all the cats in King's Landing. That's how she learned to be quiet. <laughs> well, she wasn't a Mary. She wasn't a Mary Sue when she killed. Uh, who Mary Trant. Oh, no, no, not even dude. close. But I'm Long thinking. Of, yeah, I was thinking. Afraid uh, she killed his whole, the whole family. Yeah, and they yep. baked him in a pie. Yeah, yeah. but um, <laughs> that was the same move that Paul Atreides uses at the end of Dune. By the way. Like, okay, that I, I didn't know. Yeah, he's like, I will, I will bend like a weed in the my wife, It's like my wife and I, we love a few bad movies, and that's one of them. So, <laughs> But he drops the knife the same way to kill Sting. So. You can't kill Sting. Oh. You can't contain him. Gordon Sumner? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I avoid Reddit then, because all of the Game of Thrones threads on Reddit are just miserable, absolutely miserable. It will make you hate the internet and hate fandom. Well, but see, I mean, there were people who weren't happy with Avengers Endgame. I'm like, Jesus Christ, what more did you want? This uh, is like a, I mean, I mean, come on, the last hour is like a George Perez double-page spread in real yeah. life. I mean, that was worth the price of admission alone. You know? Yeah, I, mean, I loved it. You know, I, I loved it. Too. Well, you sure, know, it was probably... Sure fan candy. Yeah, I'm sure there's people going, oh, man, they should have used the opportunity to bring in Galactus and the Fantastic Four. And it's like, why? We've got 50 characters already that need some sort of closure to this arc. (laughs) Well, my my biggest problem with Endgame is I always want more. So I I don't like closure only because, at least in theory, we can't have Tony Stark anymore. And I don't like the idea that we can't have him anymore. Come on. No, but like I said, that's my only only complaint is I don't like closure for that reason. He's going to end up replacing, uh, you know, what was it, Friday? In, in Endgame, it would be like the AI in, in, in the yeah. Stark House. That's what I think, anyway. Yeah, I think... But, but, I mean, they have, they have FF now. They have the X-Men now. They can, you know, like, take this out. I mean, that, that Dark Phoenix is going to be the last Fox X-Men film. So, I mean, they can stretch out Black Panther into Fantastic Four down, like, four or five movies down the road. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. They already have, like, I think, four movies on their slate. The Eternals, uh, Black Widow, Black Panther 2, uh, Guardians 3. Um, so, I mean, that's going to take them, like, for the next two years. So, yeah. they, they play the long game, you know, work their way up to Fantastic Four. You know, have that be the next big event. You know, be, you know, relaunch that franchise in the kind of grandiose manner it deserves, you know. Yeah. I want to see a giant purple-suited Galactus. As do I. The way it looked in Marvel's. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, I, I feel like at some point they'll have to get back to Tony Stark just because, as they do in the comics, they might give the character a rest, they might put him on hiatus, they might even kill him off, but eventually they bring him back. I'm not saying it'll be Robert Downey Jr., but I think at some point we will be seeing Tony Stark again, whether it's in a rebooted situation or we've gone far enough away from this that we can recast it and have somehow his character you know revived somehow they'll do the same thing with cap too at a certain point they'll back up the money truck and disney will tell chris evans you can pick whatever movie you want to direct if you come back and play cap one more time but you could easily bring cap back saying here's an adventure of him in 1950 yeah well i mean if you did that you could throw in the hank pym and uh janet van dyne and man and wasp 
because they were in shield in the 50s and 60s too right yeah. i didn't think it was that far back in time um what is it i think it's like 80 maybe something I'm, maybe i'm oh maybe i'm all wrong about that I'm well sure. you gotta figure just just picture michael douglas because he's playing a character that's about his real age right. so right. i'm thinking michael douglas in the streets of san francisco days was a young man and that was in the 1970s right so that's where I'm thinking, you know, you and you could have an adventure with Steve Rogers in the 1970s because he lived, you know, he lived through all that time. He just wouldn't Same. be technically Captain America to the public. He would have to be, you know, kind of a, a, a you know, undercover, undercover cat. Yeah. Nice. But I mean, even after I'm in, they're going to be able to like, you know, spin off these good one-off movies and like work their way up to the next big thing eventually. I'll be like new Avengers, you know. Yeah. Well, the, the, what I'm hearing. You know, the most rumblings about that seems to make sense is we just did a big time travel, you know, with the time uh, keeper, uh, so that Kang would probably be the mo- next most logical uh, villain. Oh, that yeah, sense. that'd be sweet. That would be cool. So, you know, there's a lot they can do. There's so much. They have such oh, a yeah. rich history to, to dig into. Yeah, no doubt. You gotta Plus, I mean, it. all the TV spinoffs, we're getting the Loki spinoff, the... Scarlet Witch spinoff. They're getting the Falcon and Winter Soldier spinoff, Can't all wait. on the Disney Plus. Modoc's getting his own show. I know. I, just, <laughs> I cannot I wait. Patty Oswalt talking about that last night on some talk show. He was like, the people in the writers' room, like, just use your regular voice, Pat. And he's like, no, no, I can't. <laughs> I don't sound like Modoc. Come on, man. We, I, I think uh, that you know. Disney is doing it right too because the price point on it is six ninety nine a month. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's I think it's sixty dollars for the year if you want to pay up front. Oh, well, I mean they just took over Hulu, so they're bound to bundle it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I imagine there'd be like I don't know ten dollar, twelve dollar bundle down the road. So. Well, I mean it makes sense. They'll dump all the stuff that's PG thirteen and under on the Disney Plus service, and then everything that they incorporated from Fox movie wise, they can dump on Hulu. And, as it's curating uh, area, so yeah, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where it all goes. Yeah, we're talking I, about keeping Netflix until season three of Stranger Things drops, and then dumping Netflix and going to one on Disney Plus instead. That. I don't know, Mike. There's a lot of good kid content on there for my kids, so like educational stuff rather than just Tom and Jerry cartoons. Although there's a place for those too. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> you know what I mean. So, so we'll you, you, you don't have time for SpongeBob in your house? Oh, they love SpongeBob. They're more they've been infected with Pokemon now. Ooh. Um, we just saw the we just saw the movie and uh, they played the card game in the local library every nice. other week. Yeah, they're very uh, very into the Pokemon right now. Cool. My son is uh, into Minecraft in a crazy way. Oh God, that does that's like an addiction for these kids. I, I he's he's a little young yet. I thought he personally. might not. But it's digital Legos, so I get it. Yeah. If I was their yeah. age, I'd be doing that all the time. That's what he. That's why he likes what he loves about it, building stuff, you know. And what's the other one that's really big right now with kids a little Fortnite? Older Fortnite. Yeah, uh, no shooting games <laughs> for over here. Yeah, good, good. At least for a while, you got to limit that stuff. Or at least that's my opinion. I shouldn't be putting my own parental choices on you. No, it's cool. We we give him a one hour of screen time. Uh, a day each school day, and then on the weekends they get two. So, no, that's Try that's that's a very good keep, plan. I mean, yeah. it's just you know more of a treat thing than something they do all day and 
I mean, they have other stuff to do. The soccer, like I said, the Pokemon League. We go to movies. We go out to style, you know, do things. Yeah, Plus, I mean, there's a lot of. Well, I live on a farm, so there's always stuff to do. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Marion and I go like, you don't see kids riding bikes anymore. It's like, what the hell happened? We kind of live out here in nowhere for bikes, but I mean, they do. We have a coop with chickens, and the kids take care of that and get the eggs and nice. Have named, have named all the hens and, um, yeah. Just the, there's always stuff to keep them busy. And I just it, it just bothers. I mean, I'm here here. I'm gonna stand on my old man platform. But it just bothers me when I go to public places and everybody's just staring at their phone as they walk. And yeah, it's, well, it's, you, you know. can't avoid it nowadays. Oh, I know. I just am trying to keep my kids, you know, more on uh, that. <laughs> not 24/7 video feed of YouTube. Uh, you know, so. Uh, well, we we limited my kids. They didn't have phones until they were in middle school. But oh, yeah. it, do- it doesn't stop them from the minute you put it in the hand, they're addicted. It's, <laughs> it doesn't matter how long you delay it. Uh, I didn't have a cell phone until college, and it wasn't even mine. It was my mother's, and I commuted to college, so that was there for emergencies, and it was one of those big bulky ones that you had to flip open. They didn't, oh, have, yeah, we, they yeah. didn't have cell phones when I was in college. I told well, it's because you're told old. My, yeah, that's told exactly my, well, right. I told my daughter when she could afford to get one for herself, she could. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure she's right on top of that. Yeah, I mean they're they're more of a Nintendo phase now, like Mario, Pokemon, that en- kind of thing. Enjoy them while they're little, my friend. Yeah, they get, they get big too fast. I'm, I'm still ready for my growth that. spurts. <laughs> anyway, we should talk yeah. about some comics, guys. Good. So, I'm taking the day off here. You, you boys each brought a book. This this is a this has been a weird progression because originally I anticipated doing the show with Bill and Scott, and then they both said, "Yeah, this week's not going to be good for me." So I threw out the call, and at one point there were going to be five of us here, Ooh. and we're down to three. So it just you know it is it's the the nature of the beast. You know, it's none of us none of us do this for a living, and it's kind of got to be you know you're available when you're available. So, uh, you guys brought books, and I'm here to just kind of listen to what you have to say and chime in when it feels convenient. <laughs> Who wants okay. to go first? Uh, Why don't we go ahead and do a sleepwalker first. All it's funny because right. I, I wasn't really too uh, familiar with this character back in the day. Yeah, for, for what it's worth, uh, Hero's been doing, we call it Hero's Sleepwalker Corner because I guess what is it, about three years ago already? That, That's or, quite a while now. Yeah, that you you brought one on on uh, assistant editors month. You brought issue one, and then every once in a while you bring back the next issue. So we're up to issue nine today. Oh, oh wow! Right. <laughs> I didn't realize nine. it was part of a Sleepwalker Odyssey. Yeah, oh, you, yeah. you got to search because there's, there's some of them are few and far between. But there are eight previous episodes with the first eight issues of this series. Okay. Well, I originally I wanted to do an index show for it, but I was like, oh, I don't think I could do an index show of anything. So <laughs> the fact that I get to come on and do it on this is uh, is great. So, and and uh, just to interrupt you one more time, did you hear uh, the talk we had on the episode that just came up this week? You are our number one guest host. I, wow. Okay. Gene Hendricks right. did a uh, database for the show and of... You know, people who are guest hosts as opposed to actual hosts, you are, you have appeared the most. Well, you know, I uh, I don't have children, and uh, I don't really go out like I used to because I'm almost 40, so <laughs> there you go. Almost 40, huh? And uh, That's so I, far in my rearview mirror that I, can, I can't even see it anymore. 
Yeah, I remember. Well, I, I, I have clothes I used to wear when I was forty. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is the this is this is the stuff that I love. So, uh, any chance I get to uh, talk to other like-minded individuals about my my hobbies, I enjoy. But enough about me. All right. So, uh, since we left off with Sleepwalker number eight the last time, where we had a nice uh, guest starring role from Deathlock, we will pick up with Sleepwalker number nine, cover dated February nineteen ninety two. On sale in December of 91, the title is Sing a Song of Sin. The writer was Bob Budiansky. The penciler was Brett Blevins. Inker, Mike Manley. Letterer, Richard Starkings. Colorist, Mary Javins. And the editor was Don Daly. So, as we pull up our we have a rendering of a buxom, uh, pixie-cutted redhead wearing glasses, who has got a very buff and lanky sleepwalker uh, about his neck by a, uh, well, basically a, a dog leash, with paparazzi all around taking pictures of her, and it says she's lovely, she's lethal, lullaby. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> As the issue starts, we are seeing uh, the remnants of uh, a battle that Sleepwalker was in where everything is sort of torn asunder and there is a New York detective, uh, Detective Perez there investigating the scene of the crime or the scene of the incident and she is um, interrupted in her examination of this by some shadowy figures uh, that call themselves the OIE, and they say that they are going to be taking over the pursuit of Sleepwalker moving forward. She doesn't want to buckle, uh, and she makes them go get the proper paperwork before she's going to uh, relinquish control of the crime scene. I don't want to hold on really quick. I just want to go back just a little bit. I love the splash page with the bent uh, kind of like surreal street yeah. sign and the uh, the title written on it. Like yeah, the, this. Uh, uh, Will Eisner style, you know, it's, it's yeah, really this, well done. Um, it was ripped apart. It looks like the the fire hydrant here was singing or had a mouth or something <laughs> because of the the um, aftermath of the last issue. But really strong splash page. And I like like the scratchy kind of coloring and the dark, uh, the blacks. In yeah, the background all... here it kind of has, has like that crosshatch effect. It just kind of makes it more surreal i guess i really like that splash page yeah the surreal mm. stuff in the issues is usually good it's when it comes to the mundane stuff in the issue that the um, artist you can clearly tell doesn't want to be doing it for the most part is, is but, the dude that she's talking to from uh damage control um that i don't know and i'm trying to think if this predates damage control because it would definitely would have been a nice connection to have you know to have him coming from there I don't think it's what uh, ninety two, I think, right? Ninety one or ninety two. So I don't know. When did I don't even remember when damage control hit? I thought it was later. It might be. I thought it was when I was in high school. So it must be a couple of years after this. But uh, no, that just looks like a generic um, city County. lawyer or a <laughs> city civil engineer going, "What the hell's going on here?" <laughs> so, um, and the uh, the bent stuff is the result of sleep. One of Sleepwalker's powers. Uh, he has a warp uh, beam that he can shoot out of his eyes that can alter physical material, um, which he uses to great effect often. I'm sorry, As really, we, really quick. Damage Control came out in uh, 1989. Okay, so it was uh, out at this point. So it's almost subsequent to what we're looking at here. Um, 
<laughs> the original, the very first five-page story was in the Marvel Age Annual, 1988, and mm-hmm. then the uh, 1989 serialized 17-page story in Marvel Comics Presents. So um, they don't actually say about... this guy is from Damage Control, but I think we can assume he is. Sure. <laughs> As we jump... Yeah. As we jump away from the scene of the um, the battle, we have a uh, big one-page splash of Sleepwalker uh, looking super buff, uh, which is not you know what I You know what I saw? I'm sorry to interrupt, but you know what I saw at Sam's Club the other day? What did you see at they Sam's had Club? Those ra- they had those radiation detectors t- tuned to Sleepwalker's radiation. That's Because they're you know. everywhere. Because, of course, <laughs> I mean, it's something you just find... Everywhere, you know. Yeah, now that he's back in the mystic radiation. Now that he's back in the zeitgeist from uh, you know the Infinity War stuff from a couple of years ago, so yeah, makes sense. (laughs) As as Sleepwalker floats above the city, he uh, talks about how he still has not really um, come to understand all the particularities of human beings, and we quickly jump away from that on the next page. Two, uh, the woman that we will come to know as Lullaby getting out of a limo surrounded by the paparazzi in New York, trailed by her newly uh, wedded husband. And uh, everybody is besieging her with questions, taking pictures, asking how she feels, uh, seeing if she feels like a million bucks, and she thinks she feels like a lot more than that. And the bottom of the page has Sleepwalker. Uh, above the building that Lullaby and her husband have gone into, seeing the new husband uh, peering over ominously from the side of the top of the high-rise that they're in. Yeah. And some and, cool, like, noir shading here. Like, as Sleepwalker's looking down, he comes out, and it's all in silhouette. Uh, as he's over right here, the use of the blacks in that very last panel as he's looking over inside the building. It just, um, it reminds me almost like Tom Mandrake when he was on the Spirit. Like how you use those deep blacks all, I was thinking I was thinking I saw textures. some uh, some like I was trying to think of who I would compare the artwork to and I was thinking a little bit of like Joe Staten. Yeah, yeah, looser lines. I could totally see that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um and I think we all kind of know what's coming, even if you've never read a comic book before. If somebody's dangling themselves ominously over the side of a building, they are going to jump. <laughs> so in a, a nice bunch of vertical panels here, we have uh, the new husband jumping, Sleepwalker using his warp beaming uh, ability on the side of the building to create a little scoop. And he uh, slides his little butt down the scoop and up into Sleepwalker's arms. So Sleepwalker Ray, is that similar to like a Green Lantern thing? We can make things uh, out of hard light or whatever? No, he can't make things out of hard light. He's literally, yeah, he's literally warping whatever the material is. I wasn't Um, reading this in in 92. I was reading other comics. I I like that he turned it into a slide. And it wasn't a direct catch, which would probably like just crush his body. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, that's why I thought it was like that, because there's a little slidey built there. Yeah, and as you can see in the next page, um, it is not, it doesn't go back into the building. It's warped, you know. He could go back and warp it back into the building, but, you know, gotta make sure that this guy gets medical attention. And um, 
following on from the last several issues, um, people are wildly suspicious of this green-skinned and purple-berobed character, and uh, he's ready to uh, not deal with anybody's BS right now, and he wants to take off. Now, the uh, little red-headed vixen there says, oh, you know, take me with you, I want to talk to you, and thank you, and he obliges, because, you know, Sleepwalker's a good guy, good alien, good interdimensional being, and uh, she asks if uh, she can call him, and he gives her uh, the host body for where he resides, Rick Sheridan's phone number. This is hilarious, though, because some of this dialogue, man. I'm sorry, (laughs) I don't mean to keep like derailing. No, it's all right. Enough, as always. You humans insult me with your lies and threats. I'll have no more of it. And everybody's yeah, afraid of him because he's in purple and green, which everybody knows. Villain colors. Villain colors, yes. That Except is for the Hulk. Except for the Hulk. Except for yeah. the Hulk. But, like, everybody knows that, so that's why they're all afraid. Well, he's, I mean, yeah, he's you know, all green green goblin out. Yeah. I'm just wondering, I'm trying to figure out, is this, like, supposed to be, like, ominous dialogue of his or quickly woman my continued presence here can bring only strive um you know i don't think i ever had a voice in my head for him reading him as a kid i just i would assume it wouldn't be totally human but uh i mean he's not from around here um he's from the mind has like the he has the stylized word balloons so it has to be yeah pretty pretty different yeah there's a little bit of effect on it somewhere i don't know if it's super high pitched or super gravelly or Super high, who knows? Uh, super deep, uh, otherworldly. Let's just, you know, let's put some fuzz on. Right, it. right. I'm <laughs> picturing more on the gravelly end, and that's why I'm I'm kind of good with Jim doing it because nice. Jim's got that deep voice to begin with. Uh, I'd probably yeah. sweeten it with a little reverb or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah. If if I was going to, uh, you know, start mixing the sound and everything, maybe just yeah, give you kind of a almost an echoey kind of sound to your voice, and it would work for me. <laughs> an ominous Brian Blessed, yes. <laughs> Brian Blessed could play almost anybody. Yes, he could. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, all right, and now we move on to some of the mundanity that comes along with a Sleepwalker issue. We have uh, Rick Sheridan, the host body for the entity known as Sleepwalker, trying to keep up with the guys that he's working on his student film with um, for college. And... Um, you know, this is right after Rick has gotten dumped by his longtime steady, uh, Alyssa. And uh, the director of the film doesn't realize it. And uh, Rick's not too happy. He goes home. And uh, the way that Sleepwalker and Rick have been communicating is by the answering machine. Remember those folks? Uh, on Rick's telephone. So usually when there's a message, he realizes that it's, you know, a family member or a Sleepwalker saying, I got to tell you something. He plays the message. And he doesn't recognize the voice because that is because the it is the voice of Lullaby, who (laughs) yeah, uh, who begins to sing a little song to him on the uh, the voice message, and uh, we see Rick in a couple of panels go from wide awake to closing his eyes to um, entranced, and he is being called to Lullaby. Now, where the uh, storytellers clearly enjoy their time, we are in the recesses of Rick's mind somewhere with all sorts of fiddly bits going on. And Sleepwalker still bemoaning the fact that everybody thinks he's this bad guy. And Sleepwalker senses that Rick has fallen asleep 
So he is able to emerge from his subconscious and uh, do what he does best. But the issue is, Rick is asleep. However, he is still moving. And this is a new thing that has not happened in the book yet. Rick fell fell asleep because he was so boring. I'm sorry, but Rick is just like, what is to distinguish Rick from anybody in this book? It's just like a a gimmick to fall asleep so sleepwalker can strike, you know? Uh, I mean, pretty much. <laughs> I remember. Well, I remember like something similar with like the, um, the Gil Kane, Roy Thomas, uh, Captain Marvel, where like Captain Marvel being in the negative zone or something, and they'd uh, tap uh, wrists together. It's almost like Shazam in a weird way. Yeah. But that's what I see like this the gimmick. You know, he has to fall asleep for me to save the world. And I don't know. Well, just, that's that is a plot. Rick seemed, Rick seemed very boring to me. Uh, Rick, unfortunately, is this is had a lot of crap going on. He's um. He's got that old Parker luck. Let's just say that. <laughs> right. a, but he's no a Peter of, Parker. What? No, he is no Peter <laughs> Parker, unfortunately. I know um, Peter Parker. And he is no <laughs> Peter Parker. Uh, he also, um, the first couple of issues before he realizes that Sleepwalker's a good guy, has not been sleeping. <laughs> so he's kind of um, been burning the candle at both ends. So, uh, yeah, he does become a more um, important character uh, moving forward. Um, so... Uh, let's see here. All right, now we get a little bit of uh, salaciousness as we see Lullaby in her uh, penthouse um, being massaged and nibbled on by um, I don't know, a couple of uh, couple of buff dudes, a couple of buff clearly dudes. Fabio, clearly Fabio on the left. Yes, it is definitely a definitely a Fabio esque character on the left, and um, you know somebody else that kind of almost. looks a little too ugly to be there but he's ripped so whatever we i guess we know what lullaby is into she's got herself a little drinky drink and uh her door opens up and it's uh rick but that's not who she thought she was getting uh she even Uh, says you're not even my type i don't think Rick's any. yeah but this this two panels are great with the the close-up yeah you get the you know the shot of you get the big yes Flash out of her, you know, obviously, like you said, salacious. But then you kind of get closer up on her, and then you get the creak sound effect, and the next panel is, like, even closer on her face with a different expression and a lot looser with the lines. I mean, you can see the the, the shading, like we were talking about before, isn't, like, almost all the way filled in. I really like that that sequence. Yeah, definitely has some uh, good visual ter- storytelling there. And in a very off model for Rick on the next panel on the next page... Uh, who's heavily shadowed, we have the not very detailed um, Sleepwalker, which is odd because usually they put a lot of detail into him, and he looks kind of uh, bland right here. But Kind uh, of lopsided, too. I mean, he's yeah. like way bigger up top than his legs would. You know, I mean, there's a lot more musculature there than should be. Yeah, he's basically all <laughs> he's all torso and delts usually. And he once they started making him bulky, they they almost always kept the legs kind of more spindly. Yeah, but he, um, I mean, <laughs> even in the course of this nine issues, he's kind of changed from much more thin and uh, wiry to this buff version. Yeah, yeah which I, 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 I never really I was not a fan of person. when it happened. I uh, I, I, I think it 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 serves the the mystery of the character better with him being more spindly and, and wiry i i agree and i it, once they did change to i you know it, it could have been an editorial thing though i think i said the last time they might have said hey we want all big buff guys you know 
Yeah, well, it was the uh, 90s, so. It was the 90s. It was the, but it, 92, that's right in the middle of the image explosion. Yeah, he, I mean, he's dude, lucky like he got away without having all sorts of little pockets on his outfit. I mean, yeah, but he's uh, got little capey things and arm things that you can do all sorts of fun fiddly bits with, so. Maybe, maybe a bandolier. Right. Ooh. Sleepwalker pack and heat would be interesting. Um, <laughs> maybe that happens later in the uh, the series. Um, <laughs> so uh, Sleepwalker is uh, they're saying, well, maybe I'm more to your liking, and he's not happy, and he just just heaves the two Fabio looking dudes off of off of Lullaby, and he gets his um, his mat on, you know, uh, threatening her and saying, you know, what the hell are you doing and. He mentions that his patience is short, and we go into her backstory. Um, oh, do we ever? Oh yeah. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it's all in one page, but it's it, like it, five. It's five by two, so it's ten. Ten panels, and the very last panel is like Sleepwalker's reaction. Yeah. But I like the way it's all colored. The way it is, it reminds me of like something Darwin Cook would do, like change the color palette for uh, flashbacks and stuff. And then yeah, and she's uh, she's been decked out in boxes. Yeah. Yeah, she's been decked out in green the whole issue, so the the, the tint on the, the backstory is all green. Uh, she starts off as a lowly babysitter who finds that her voice can put children to sleep, and once they are asleep, she can actually influence them to do what she wants, and she realizes that this power also extends to adults. So, um, knowing what she knows, she uh, basically uh, trans-seduces super rich guy that she married by telling him to divorce his wife and then she marries him and uh she was about to uh tell him to jump off the building until sleepwalker showed up so there you go that's how you do a backstory in one page bump done well, yeah, crazy. Really. i mean there's so many i mean there are a lot of characters like this too that have this power you know i mean on Purple it's almost Man. like a, yeah exactly uh siren um uh even on the dc side you know the way poison ivy would uh take over with mind control or whatever, yep. uh, beauty from uh, uh, Astro City kind of has a similar thing. Um, yeah, it's 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 a, it's, a um, it's an interesting archetype to put against. You know, Sleepwalker who just seems to be talking in this very formal and angry voice, and you know, she's kind of sweet talking. It's just uh, it's an interesting contrast. Yes, it is, and it will get more interesting by the end of the issue. <laughs> and. Um... Sleepwalk is not having any of this, especially since his host body is there. So Lullaby gets on her little uh, lullaby horse there and starts to sing to Sleepwalker, who uh, has the same reaction as Rick does, where he fades into a trance. And uh, after he does fade into that trance, the uh, the rendering on his face makes him look like a totally soulless zombie. So she skedaddles off with her two... Um, now beaten up <laughs> uh, boy boyfriends there and uh, we'll let your mind run <laughs> with that and we go to the next day where Sleepwalker and Rick have not moved and she dismisses the two little boy toys and then she dresses Sleepwalker up like the thing when he used to go out incognito with a trench coat and hat uh-huh. I have that action figure on my shelf it's one of my favorites I, uh, bet. I really <laughs> I like the uh it's like the world's longest staring contest. Right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, did you like, give him eye drops or anything in the night? His cause... eyes are much bigger than mine. I gotta win, you know. Yeah. Uh, so she takes Sleepwalker out for a little um, five-finger discount shopping. 
since she can basically put anybody into a trance that she wants, and she runs the gamut of uh, priceless uh, Mings and uh, furs, uh, coins, jewelry, what have you, always telling the people that she's stealing from to forget about her doing this after she leaves. Everything is going fine and dandy until the New York police show up, at which point she commands Sleepwalker to uh, deal with them, which he does um, by throwing a lot of stuff around, protecting her. (laughs) Female has no desire to speak to you. Yeah. I don't know. And uh, we get some sort of uh, Kirby-esque smashy-smashy and uh, beautiful, ugly people going on in the next couple of pages. A lot of impact. Clearly the artist was having a good time drawing this. <laughs> uh, um, I think the one splash page is uh, Jerry Lewis running it. <laughs> 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 a little bit. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, demonstrating the power that Sleepwalker has. He's crushing a pistol in his hands and basically wrecking house. And... As Lullaby and Sleepwalker go to leave, the security guard of whatever store they're in pushes the button for the security latch to come down on the door so that it won't open. However, uh, Sleepwalker uses his warp beam to uh, warp it so that it will not lock. Looks like he turns it into a piece of a stick of gum. Oh yeah. Well, it's only well that's only the it's only pink there because he's affecting it. Once it's you know when they they cut over to the uh, detective Perez that we met earlier in this issue. Her uh, little toady there brings it in and says, you know, this is a, this is a sleepwalker. We got to do something about this guy. So <laughs> um, we also have tested it with the new sleepwalker radiation detector, patent pending. <laughs> so that's, we know it's him. Sleepwalker was one of the perps. Uh, uh. <laughs> can't believe it. <laughs> and he's been seen with the lullaby. And we <laughs> we are barreling towards our finale here, where the paparazzi is back as Lullaby in her uh, very sexy green uh, midriff bearing costume, looking a little like uh, you know Pied Piperish, uh, has on the leash like we saw her on the uh, front cover as she's she announces that I believe she's still a my lucky chimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what it reminded me of with the thing in the hat and everything. Sexy leprechaun. Um, so, I, don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I'm ready for a sexy lucky leprechaun. I don't oh, why not? That, that liberated, sure, I guess. 2019, come on. All right, fair enough. <laughs> so the paparazzi is back as Lullaby is introducing to the world her new bodyguard, Sleepwalker. So while my husband's recuperating, this big guy is going to protect me. Now, Detective Perez has shown up with the New York police, and they are pl- there to place Lullaby under arrest. And uh, she orders Sleepwalker to attack, which he does, and uh, in glorious fashion, wrecking everything, throwing people around, warping stuff. And uh, also stopping Detective Perez from uh, doing anything else to uh, capture Lullaby. Sleepwalker grabs her, takes off. They make their escape. And they uh, then move to somewhere else, which I'm not even sure where they are. Because the artwork doesn't really make it all that clear. But Rick there. And uh, we now learn a little bit more about 
Lullaby's Power, where she has to recast a trance on somebody every 24 hours. Of uh, course she does. Of course. Well, you know, you got to have a, an Achilles heel. And uh, she orders Rick to just go home and forget everything like it never even happened. Sleepwalker stops her and says, why don't I just take him to the river and make sure that he drowns? And she's like, no, we don't have to kill anybody. But uh, she sends him home. And she's uh, very happy about this. You know, no muss, no fuss. We can continue uh, going on and doing what we got to do. At this point, she uh, is surprised when Sleepwalker very roughly grabs her hands and uh, lays the smack down on her verbally by saying, as soon as I knew that the boy was out of harm's way, I didn't have to pretend anymore. I was never under a trance. And she goes, but you were, you were asleep. And Sleepwalker drops the bomb on us. I am a sleepwalker, and sleepwalkers never sleep. So blew my mind. Dam- blew my all mind. Wait a minute, it was amazing. So all that police damage you did, all those police cars and policemen you attacked, all yep. that damage you did, that was, that was all an act. It was, it was all, to all pr- an act. To protect Rick. Just, Protect just to get to this one part where you could say sleepwalkers never sleep. Yeah, it's totally worth it because those splash panels are awesome. I don't care. <laughs> this this book is full of splash panels. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's you know less to write. <laughs> so <laughs> after that mind-blowing reveal, we have a little uh, brief interlude with Detective Perez, who sees that Lullaby has been caught, and they show a little uh, picture of her. Uh, her lineup photo where her mouth is covered, which makes sense. And uh, she's now on the phone with the OIE who reached out to her earlier in this issue. And uh, they very ominously declare that now is their chance to destroy Sleepwalker. And in classic Marvel style, why are government agents hunting Sleepwalker? Who does who does he discover lurking in Rick's mind? What do the initials OIE stand for? And how are you going to wait 30 days to find out? I don't know the answers <laughs> to any of those questions. I had a subscription, so I knew it was coming. So okay. I just had to wait, wait for the mail to show up. <laughs> so, uh, yes. This is... Um, this is Sleepwalker, I think, at its best um, when they do their own individual, uh, you know, no guest characters, uh, as much as I do like a guest character, uh, with an, their own kind of villain, uh, somebody that plays well against Sleepwalker in, in an interesting way. And um, yeah, I'll tell you, I, could, I, yeah, I was ready for the next issue right after I read this one. I mean, come on, how could you not be? Shadowy government officials, uh, sexy redheaded women. Come on. I like this issue. I was I was actually surprised. Based on the cover, I kind of, you know, and you can't judge a book by its cover, uh, I anticipated not liking it. And then when I read it through it, you know, it was kind of fun. Well, that's, at its, when, when Sleepwalker is, is its, at its best is when it is dipping its toe heavily into the 60s style Stan and Jack um sort of template and this issue definitely does that i do think it overdid the splash pages though i think you know and i'm wondering was that motivated by just trying to fill you know fill up the page page count on the book or was original artwork starting to go more in vogue and they you know they said oh i can make more money for these 
That I don't know. Um, if I'm ever able to track down Brett Blevins, I will certainly ask him. I don't know if he'll give you an answer to that question. He might. You know, it's been 30-something years, at this, or almost 30 years, so, you know. Something, sure. something I always wondered was, I, I guess I conflated this with, like, the Midnight Suns, Dark Hold kind of situation. I always thought Sleepwalker was... Uh, Spun from that, but it was much before that, I guess. This is more of a couple years before, yeah. Yeah, um, I think because I remember seeing that character in that run or whatever, some one of those books. It's it's yeah. interesting to me that like you know this is much more of a conventional uh, superhero book than I thought it was going to be. You know, I thought it was going to be more like the Phantom Stranger or something, or Spectre or something, you know, or even you know DC Sandman, you know, something like along those lines. Um, more of a noir feel. I mean, it's got the noir art, but it's definitely more of a, a traditional superhero story. Yeah. Uh, mind control. Yeah. Most of it, and it's funny because the series does alternate between the gritty street level stuff like this. Like, is you know, it's rare that Sleepwalker is going against like a super high end, high level bad guy. Um, other than like his arch enemy and maybe Nightmare, who would show up in Doctor Strange comics, right? Um, but that's kind of why I really liked this book because you'd have an issue like this, and then you'd have a whole issue where it's all being played out uh, in the in the mindscape, um, you know, with stuff going on. So right. it's it's able to play with both of those things, and I mean it. I don't know if there was any other treatment for this character. Um, and I, I think if I reached out to Bob Budiansky, he would probably give an answer. He seems like he does answer people, um, which I should probably do at some point. Cause I've been reading this damn book for thir- almost 30 years now. Uh, so I don't know. I, I would like to get some more information on it, but uh, yeah, this is like, you know, the, the, the unique villains that this series created, like Q-Ball, and uh, who did show up outside of this book occasionally. Um, Lullaby, I don't know if she ever came back. She doesn't come back in this in this run. So, but uh, I've always enjoyed it. Now, what's what's the status? Because you'd probably know better than I would of the uh, movie. Um, I haven't talked to, and I do follow Josh Knopfs, who's um, producing it, and. Um, and doing the fan series that they're doing. Um, that's a labor of love um, for that guy and his, and his partner um, that are doing it. So I think it's just one of those things when they get the free time to shoot and to edit and to do effects, that's when they're doing it. Uh, you know, because you still got to gotta feed the monkey, man. Um, so, um, well, but... If they- if they end up doing like a Doctor Strange two or a Doctor Strange three, yeah, I could, t- I could totally see Sleepwalker somewhere, like in a re- probably in a reimagined form, uh, not you know so much like this. The way the MCU kind of takes the idea and runs with it a little bit, like yeah. it, as one of the peripheral characters, maybe. I mean, I could totally. That's that my, sense. that's my big hope. Once Doctor Strange hit and they uh, he got blasted through the astral plane to visions of all the other different dimensions, I'm like, you know what? You could certainly put Cobweb and the uh, the Sleepwalkers into uh, <laughs> this series in some capacity, uh, because he he did pop back up, and I didn't realize this until a couple of years ago, in the end of the Fantastic Four's run, and he was pivotal in that, and it was probably the best Sleepwalker that there's been, you know, in a major capacity, and that he was. was a, in, I remember him 
being near the end of the run of Defenders, too. Um, oh, I didn't even you... realize he was in the Defenders um, yeah. at some point. Okay, I'll have to look those ones up. Because he also popped into um, Captain Marvel as well. Um, so, the Carol Danvers Captain Marvel from uh, right. probably like 10 years ago now. And she's basically saddled with a bunch of B-listers as um, support. So, uh, I mean, just the fact that the, the character has popped up from time to time means that somebody that's, you know, working at Marvel probably had an affinity for the character back when it came out. So it makes me uh, kind of kind of happy. Well, the character, I, I find the character to almost be like a hidden gem. Like, I wouldn't even be familiar with him at all if you hadn't introduced me to him. But it, I, I think he's got so much potential that I'm surprised that they haven't done more with him. They well, oh. that I mean, that's the thing. Now that they've kind of, they're kind of using all the characters that they have. And I haven't read the um, the four issue miniseries from I think it was last year. Um, I think it was 2018. The Infinity War, uh, the the current Infinity War that they did, the new one. Um, I guess he's got a a part to play in that. And I haven't read it yet, so um, how he's handled in that, I don't know. So. Well, I mean, they, I mean, I mean, they took Darkhawk, which is a you know character, yeah. kind of a one-off character from this period, and like made him a major part of like Reign of Kings and War of Kings, yeah. and now he's part of the Marvel Cosmic. I mean, it wouldn't be like I said. I mean, James Gunn likes oddball characters. It wouldn't be uh, too far out of reach for him to show up there either in the Guardians Three. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I mean, it it would it would be really interesting because they probably would do something very cool with it. Um, and hopefully they'd make Rick more of a important character, but who knows? Because um, <laughs> the only reason Sleepwalker is coming out of his mind is because a, a piece of technology that um, allows him to go home gets knocked off of him in the first issue. So that's why they're they're in this symbiotic relationship at this point. So, yeah. And just just looking, you know, at the specific issue a little more closely, uh, it's it's almost like the standard thing every time we've done a Sleepwalker issue where the artwork. To me, has got it. it there's, there's an ebb and a flow to my yeah. enjoyment level on it, uh, and I, I think you're right. I think there's there's some element of when they when he's drawing the more mundane, it it becomes a little less interesting to the eye. Um, you know, when they're in the dreamscape and things like that, or just just shots of Sleepwalker himself. Although I do prefer the more lanky Sleepwalker, but the shots of him are are usually very well rendered. Uh, and more interesting to, to, to the eye. Although I don't care for the shot uh, of him when he's, in theory, in a trance, and Rick is in a trance, and they're facing each other while uh, Lullaby is leaving the room <laughs> with our two guys. I just, I, I just don't like the way he looks there. I, I don't like the body, the, the, the physique that's drawn on him. But, you know, most of the shots of him I, I like, especially the facial shots. I just think he's got a very interesting look about him. Uh, uh, you know, the the very last shot of him in the book, I think, is just really compelling. It just draws your eye right to it. Yeah, the big eyes certainly do a lot for that because there's really because there's no nose. You know, it's your it's the cheekbones and the eyes, so it's the shape of his face more than anything. And he's got the cross hatching in his eyes, which almost look like a you know like a fly. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Like I said, I, I just find the character to be very. You know, your eye is drawn to him, and despite the fact that he's kind of creepy looking, it's just very compelling uh 
Yeah, well, that's the I, that's the other reason why I like the character because he is creepy looking. It's right. he doesn't he doesn't look like a good guy. If you saw him in a dark alley, you'd crap your pants and run well, away. I'm thinking, like the more lanky version of there's almost like an insect yeah. kind of feel to him with the eyes and everything. Yeah, I mean, I mean Bob Budiansky was in. He had this idea pop into his head after he saw Alien for the first time. So I mean, that's how far it how long it took him, you know, between. 78 and you know 1991 to get to get this character off the ground in some sort of uh, sustainable form so you know yeah it's you know like i said you 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 got me interested in this character who i had no familiarity with at all and i've since you know in, in dollar bins picked up uh probably about 25 of the 33 issues I, and as much as I love the character, he should be in the quarter bin or the ten cent bin. I, I yeah. you know, this nothing earth shattering happened. Yeah, but book. for a buck a book, I'm willing to go for it. All right, I guess I paid a dollar twenty five for each issue when it was coming out. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, but of course, you, you've had thir- thirty years more of use out of them than I have. But that's besides <laughs> yes, the point. <laughs> for your quarter. Yeah. But this is one of the few series now, because I've cut back on most of my stuff post-crisis, this is one of the few after-crisis series that I actually have kept at this yeah, point. Well, it has, it, they knew the end was coming, so it's got a beginning, a middle, and an end. So there you go. You won't, you won't be dissatisfied, depending upon what you think of the stories. It, it does have a conclusion. So, well, we'll get there. Little by little, we're getting through it. Yep, if I live long enough. <laughs> it is. <laughs> true for all of us my life's work <laughs> uh, all right. so we, we did a lot of our talking on this one while we were going through it so unless you have some more points you want to hit on maybe uh-huh. we'll, we'll rate it and move on to the next book all uh, right uh the cover um you know you put a buxom woman on the cover uh i'm going to be intrigued uh and there's less uh poor use of space like there has been uh on previous sleepwalker covers uh there's more than two figures on the cover you know we actually have some background stuff going on and an actual background so for sleepwalker covers this is a pretty good one uh as mm, slightly odd as his physique is i know there's foreshortening going on but he's really broad uh on the cover there um but uh and we have also a custom corner box which is always fun so um corner boxes him with the uh the thing get up on with some glass shattering around it and uh it's not it's it's not gonna light the world on fire i probably wouldn't hang it on my wall uh but it's better than what we have seen so far uh on most of the covers for sleepwalker uh so i i will go with uh i can't decide between a a c plus or a b minus uh but i'll err on the side of of being nice and give it a b minus for the cover the interior art, as usual, uh, like you said, varies wildly. Um, so I, I can't, I can't go higher than a C on the interior art, just because of the lack of consistency. And uh, story-wise, this is the kind of Sleepwalker stories I like when he is dealing with uh, just human-based uh, villains. Uh, so I will go with a solid B for the story. So I think that gives me an overall uh, a B minus for this issue. I'm 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 happy that I reread. Okay, uh, Jim, you want to go? Or you want me? No, go ahead. All right. Uh, I as I said, I 
looked at the cover and I just immediately assumed I would not like this issue. So based on that feeling alone, I'm going to say I'm not going to give it a very high rating on the cover. Uh, it just looked to me like like a real just a it looked to me like an issue that was just gonna be a waste of my time frankly uh and it isn't an issue that has great uh depth to it or or impact but it was a fun issue uh and it kind of belied what i anticipated looking at the cover so since i got that feeling rather than give you a critique based on the artwork i'm just giving a critique based on that feeling so i'm going to give it a c minus uh, on the cover. I'm going to give it just a little below average since I was expecting right. bad. Uh, the interior artwork, there's points in it where I love it and there's points in it where I really don't like it at all. Uh, like I said, the, the, most of the stuff with Sleepwalker is really good. Some of the stuff with the police uh, is kind of moody and it, like I said, it gives me almost a Joe Staten feel and I do love Joe Staten's work. So, But then there's other stuff where it's just I don't know. It just looks to me like it was rushed a little, yeah. Uh, and and that the uh, anatomy is just inconsistent, wildly inconsistent. In fact, yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna say, and and I also thought there was too much of a dependence on splash pages. Although the splash pages are well drawn, I feel like it it, it almost impacts the pacing of the book because you 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 know you go through a a, a page with with nine panels on it and you're reading through it and then you get to a splash page that you just flip the you know flip over it in about 20 seconds uh so the interior art because of the in- inconsistency i'll give a c plus because there are things that i really like so i'm going to give it the slightly higher grade based on that uh and i thought the story was just fun it, it was really an enjoyable read uh the the twist that he doesn't really need to sleep and that's why he's immune to her powers was was well done but as jim pointed out he did wreak a lot of havoc while he was playing uh you know playing the role of being her lackey uh but i i I just enjoyed the story overall which so i'll give that a b and overall i'll give the book a a b minus okay the cover first of all the top left of the cover has dark man for some reason (laughs) <laughs> uh, in, in the uh, the header there, I'm not sure why, but maybe there's a cross promotion or something. <clears throat> and then you look at the bottom. I don't know if you have the, uh, the same digital copies I do, but the bottom where the UPC would be, Sleepwalker's like showing you his fingernails or something. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or Got a primp. Got a primp in the piano, or yeah, or it could be in like a high pizza counter, like trying to reach up. And, I mean, I don't know. I just thought that was funny. And when the most exciting thing about the cover art is the texturing of his shoulders, which are huge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, that That's not a good sign. And I really got to knock points off for that font that Lullaby is in. I mean, unless she's talking about Laverne for Laverne and Shirley, <laughs> you shouldn't, I should never see that L. Just, that lettering is just... I, I, I couldn't get with that. So I'll give the cover like a C minus. Uh, the art inside was fine. I like some of the choices and like some of the textural stuff. I think Paul makes a good point about it being parts of it being rushed and having too many uh, splash pages. Um, but the shading and the cross hatching again reminded me. I mean, Jeff Staten definitely, but like uh, Tom Andrake on his run with John Ostrander of the Spectre, mm-hmm. that kind of that kind of use of darks and blacks. And uh, shading and kind of noir shading and things like that. But this is a lot more of a traditional superhero book than I thought it would be. 
And uh, that was fine. That's fine, you know. 92, I remember just being drowned in books and, like, not being able to afford to get everyone I wanted. And I was working, like, full-time as a, as a um, like, a, a line cook at that point in one of the best restaurants in Cal- in, um, in Cleveland, and uh, back when I lived in Ohio. And I was making good money, and I could still not keep up <laughs> with all the books, like, in 92, because you had all the image stuff, the Dark Horse stuff really started coming in. You know, Marvel was kind of retaliating when, like, they started losing people like Jim Lee and, and all that. And um, the, the Barry Windsor Smith run of, you know, Marvel Comics Presents. Like, those are the things I think of in this time period, you know. And um, uh, Sandman is another one. And I give this a B. This, it's like a good standard superhero story. Mind control. It's the you know, trope we've seen a bunch of times. But they pulled it off effectively. It was fine. Um, so I give that a B and a B. So I guess a B minus overall. All right, so we landed in the same place. Uh, all right, so that'll do it for this this uh, installment of Hero Sleepwalker Corner. And then we'll go on to Jim's book, which is Defenders number 50. A bit of a short story before I get into this. I'm sorry. Um, Don't be sorry at all. Well, a couple of years before this comic came out, I, my dad worked on the Alaska Pipeline, and we lived in Valdez, Alaska. It's at the very... Southern, it's like the southern end of the main landmass of Alaska. And the only comics I got when I, was, when I was there were treasury editions. And occasionally a giant size or an annual, and that was it. Like no, no monthlies, no nothing. So whatever comics I had at that point were treasury editions. That's why I collect them now, I guess. But um, the Defenders... I really love that treasury edition, and I really got into the group. And then back when I, and then later when I got, you know, in a place with more comic shops or whatever, I ended up getting a whole run of Defenders. It's one of my favorite series of all time. And this, I feel, is kind of like the undersung, like one of the unsung storylines of this period of the late seventies. I mean, you get a lot of uh, people giving credit, to, a lot of credit, to, like Steve Gerber and Roy Thomas in the seventies, and and that's totally cool. They totally deserve it, but they're all. A lot of other writers, Don McGregor and uh, and uh, you know David Allen, uh, David Anthony Kraft, who wrote this, um, who you know were really holding it down on a lot of really cool superhero books at that point. I mean, this came out in '77, so this is about the time I came back to the lower 48, and I was able to actually buy comics, and I was like, well, what? Who who is this guy? What's going on? So I ended up having to find these are like some of the first back issues I saw out ever. So was this run? I ended so up working at Full Defenders that. So this has got the nostalgia factor going for it. Yeah, for me anyway. Defenders have always been... The only uh, two comics I've complete runs of are Defenders and All-Star Squadron. Because um, I, I love both of those series so much. I just, I had to, and I wanted to read them in single issues again. But uh, this is the end of a three-part arc that David Anthony Kraft and Keith Giffen were doing. Now, Keith Giffen, I mean, David Anthony Kraft did a lot of stuff for Marvel, but he had a nice uh, run here on Defenders for a while. And this story, who remembers Scorpio, uh, it's not canon anymore, but during the story, it was it's alluded to in the story that this is Nick Fury's uh, ne'er-do-well brother um, from way back in the Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. book. Um, he, he, you know, it was Nick Fury's brother who became a bad guy, pretty much. And this is like one of the first actual more reflective looks at like a supervillain like the way he goes out in this episode or in this issue is not what you would expect from a comic in 1977 no no i certainly didn't see that coming 
yeah, the kind of like existential angst he has over his like life being what it has been. He's like talking to that LMD model. Um, kind of is is a pretty heavy stuff for a ten year old kid to be reading uh, in his comical books back in the day. So it made quite an impression on me. Uh, Keith Giffen went through a lot of different phases. Like he did that really clean art stuff on the Legion of Superheroes, and then like he found Simon Bisley in the nineties, and he kind of went with that ultra liney. Uh, look for a long time. This was Keith Giffen in his Kirby period. And uh, as you can tell from the splash page. I, I saw it as a almost a Kirby slash burn. Uh, and, I, and that may not resonate with you, but if in, in my detail, mind, at least when is definitely burn. And, and picture burn, not from, his Terry Austin X-Men days, but think of him in his early days, like on champions. Right. And that's like, to me, there was, there was almost a similarity. Now there's definitely a very, very large Kirby influence on top of that, but it's almost like, this is what I would have pictured that that level of John Byrne would have looked like if he had been kind of trying to ape Kirby as well. And the, uh, um, according to, uh, Mike's Amazing World of Comics, which is a valuable resource. I don't know if everybody knows about it, but they certainly should. Uh, this has uh, 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 been inked by Mike Royer, who, of course, was uh, into a lot of Kirby. Yes. So. Yeah, and I, I just I have to tell you, you know, you're obviously you're going to go into the story. I, I love the artwork in this book. Yeah, it just it yeah, totally, totally just like pulls me in every panel. I really like it too. That's why it's one of my favorites. So, um, like I said, Defenders, like the first 50 or 60 issues of Defenders, it's one of my favorite runs of all time. Yeah, the only um, one I'm missing, you said you have the complete run. I had the complete run, and then I didn't for the longest time, and I picked up just about every issue that I'm missing, except for I'm still seeking out a decently priced issue number 10, which is a uh, tough okay. one to find because that's the Hulk Thor battle. Right, when the, during the Avengers Defenders War. Mm -hmm. That's the only right. one I'm missing at this point. I've bought three copies of the uh, Giant Size Annual 1 with right. the, uh, Cla the John Buscema and Klaus Janssen art. And uh, it's like one of my all-time favorite single issues of all time. Um, just I love that issue so much. It's just very... I mean, Luke Cage is in the group at that point. Right. Uh, Red, Red Guardian is with the group. Um, it's the whole group. And uh, that clean Janssen inks on that uh, Buscema art is just really nice. And it was the head of that whole net. Ebulon storyline finally came to a head. Right. Um, I've, I've, anyway, I've often said that. I've often said, and it's still going with your digression, that Sal Buscema's work never looked better than when Klaus Janssen inked him on Defenders. I love Janssen's uh, inking. I mean, the inking he did with Miller, too. I mean, on Daredevil is great stuff. It is, but that's, that's to me, that's more stylized than this is. Oh, yeah. Or than, than mean, the Sal Buscema no, stuff is. Right. Uh, and I just, I just love like, and we're talking about now the issues like in the mid teens, on, uh, on defenders. Right. Yeah, and the, um, yeah, it was uh, in mid teens through the twenties. Steve Gerber was writing most of them at that point. Yes, um, I just, I really love that. Elf with the gun and lunatic, and uh, uh, I like one of the later, later, uh, I think it's sixty three, where like they put out an open call for defenders on TV. And like yeah. every you know, be, it was like Mystery Man, like you know, Tagak the Leopard is here. You know? Yeah, we we covered that on the show. That's it's a I, great I, issue. I love that episode. Well, anyway, this is the Who's Remember Scorpio uh, storyline from forty or 
48, 49, and 50. Uh, at this point, you got Valkyrie, Nighthawk, uh, Hellcat, uh, the Hulk, and Moon Knight. So it's an interesting dynamic. You got like you know two people who are, who are super powered up to a point, but it's mostly their fighting style. The Hulk, uh, Nighthawk has always been to me like a second rate uh, Tony Stark. You know, it's like, oh, I could build wings that fly, but you know, not anything else. <laughs> but. <laughs> And Valkyrie, this is the Barbara Norris now, Valkyrie, of course, not the one played by Tessa Thompson. But you get this great splash page, close up on the Hulk. Hulk remembers you from before. Red Man escaped from Hulk before, but now Scorpio must die. He's not happy, his eyes don't match. <laughs> this is, again, the square, square Kirby head, but that really nice uh, detail. And then uh, I love this. The, it's, it reminds me so much, much of like the Monarch and the Venture Brothers, you know. <laughs> you are nothing if not overconfident Hulk, you know. Not only do I hold the Zodiac key, but behind me stand the newborn members of my own Zodiac. And what he's done is he's, bought, he's made these androids to be his new Zodiac. Um, but because they got uh, the Defenders showed up, what they did, not all of them came out, you know, were fully baked. You know what I mean? Like, it should have stayed in the oven a little longer, and mm -hmm. that'll be a major, major plot point later. But here we get, you know, Scorpio, or I'm Leo, beware my claws. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they each get their own little panel, which is cool to kind of introduce their look and what they uh, what they do, or at least, you know, an idea of where they're coming from. And I am Libra, you know, they're very exposi expositional, but also very, you know, very cool for the time. And then uh, Hulk my, is my favorite is my favorite is by far Aquarius. Oh yeah, because he's just like a surfer dude. Yeah, he likes chills out and has a beer, you know. Um, the Hulk is very loquacious in this episode in this uh, issue. You know, Hulk will smash all your stupid men, and then Hulk will smash you, Red Man. And three of them are missing because, like I said, they didn't stay in the oven long enough. So. Um, Hulk just starts smashing through them, smashes into like Ares, Cancer, and Taurus all at once. Uh, Sagittarius shoots from the sideline, and meanwhile, uh, as Aquarius and uh, Libra are hanging out, uh, in comes Moon Knight, Valkyrie, and Hellcat. Um, Valkyrie and Hellcat soon realize that uh, Libra is a wraith, and he says he only owes his allegiance to cosmic justice. Wow, really, uh, really afraid of this guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he sees that you know they need to be that they they have to be part of the balance of the battle. You know, so he's kind of like a bargain basement game master, like you know, oh the game must be even kind of thing. Um, we see Gemini can split into two dudes, <laughs> and uh, then we see Jack Norris, uh, Valkyrie's. Uh, ex-husband. It's complicated. <laughs> it's very complicated. <laughs> his brain gets taken out of his body at one point and put into it. It's just nuts. Um, we get this, again, very Kirby wall here as uh, Nick Fury is walking away from him, you know. He's like, you know, just he's telling him to just stay out of his way. Don't get any ideas to stop me what I'm doing. Just get out of my way. You Don't get hurt. Uh, we get back to the battle. Um, let's see. Taurus is tied up... Uh, Moon Knight, I love this panel, by the way. This kind of like Dutch jangle of this panel. I mean, you see Hulk fighting with cancer at the bottom. And said, I mean, you see like three different things going on in this composition. It's pretty cool. Uh, Ares hits the Hulk straight in the butt from, it looks like, from the uh, 
um, trajectory here. Knocks Hulk into the East River, or the Passaic River, I'm sorry. And uh, Hulk has been in the same stinking water before. Hulk hates water. (laughs) So now he's really mad because he got him wet. He He didn't tell him to use the stairs. Yeah, (laughs) no more stairs. Um, We get some just like really good 70s dialogue here. Beware the bite of Dragon Fang as Valkyrie swings into um, uh, Capricorn. Oh, Leo, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many, it's hard to keep track. Yeah. Meanwhile, down somewhere in the dungeon, uh, Kyle Richmond is uh, strapped into the. And my God, is this could this be any more Kirby? I mean, you got no. the dots, you got the giant, uh, you know, ma- machine, the man just straining against it. Uh, the sun is going down. And I like the little exposition here that explains that Nighthawk's strength is doubled at night, which is something that I always forgot about. But yeah. it works out great for him here. He breaks free from. Uh, those uh, Mr. Miracle bondage uh, <laughs> deals. Um, the Hulk punches Taurus through the ceiling into the other level of uh, Scorpion's lair. And he's like, by the stars. <laughs> uh, he's trying to find Virgo because he made Virgo for himself to be like his, you know, true love and everything. Like his Pygmalion situation. Um that's why he's worried that about the other ones not popping out of the Easy Bake Oven, as I mentioned. Um, Sagittarius's uh, arrows can pierce metal. That's good to know. Aquarius and Libra sit back and just kind of watch the, everything going on. And uh, Scorpio goes up to his lair where he had uh, the rest of them uh, cooking and finds that the other three androids are all destroyed, especially Virgo. She is bolts. She is smoldering. Bolts, <laughs> um, but he is taking it really hard. You know, he'll never feel her caress or know her embrace. This is like his last chance at kind of sanity, at least as he knows it. I mean, he says a hard. We find in the earlier issues, he says a hard, uh, you know, driven life of, of a supervillain this whole time. He's not been very successful. He's kind of past his prime. He's older, and he's kind of reassessing the decisions he's made. Um, so it's kind of like it's got that existential end to it. And we'll see more of that later. Uh, right now we see um, Ares keep uh, trying to run back, back and forth into the Hulk. He's going to ram those purple pants up to your big green ears. But uh, <laughs> Nighthawk somehow grabs him and smashes him into a wall instead. Um, uh, Valkyrie almost hits Nighthawk uh, with her sword. And then we get this awesome splash page. Uh, beautiful wreckage behind them, by the way. I love that. The giant you know, glass dome smashed and all the different uh, uh, real detailed uh, wreckage. I mean, that kind of goes to what Paul was saying before about the Byrne influence here. Nothing, nobody does wreckage like John Byrne. <laughs> I mean, look at the title of the splash title page of Days of Future Past. You know, he's just he's, he's the master of wreckage. But, I mean, these are definitely Kirby poses. Um, you know, big square hands and square heads. Uh, you know, women with a lot of shading as they are. I love the pose on night, Moon Knight. I'm not even sure what he's trying to do there. He can't fly. Is he just kind of jumping in the air, or he's launching himself. Sure. Okay. I don't need to see that. <laughs> but yeah, just I love the splash page very much. Uh, in fact, after rereading it, I made it my background. <laughs> um, I just always really like that one. Uh, we also the next page, just as a 
palate cleanser, we get a picture of the Defenders Long Island Hangout. And I love these cutaway maps and diagrams, like when they would show the Baxter Building or, you know, the Fortress of Solitude, and they would cut it away. This one's very simple, just one splash page. You have uh, Aragon and the, the Pegasus grazing in the backyard. But um, Is that Son of Satan on the left? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Howard the Duck, too. Yeah, and, well, and that's easy to pick yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Howard the Duck in the Defender's Treasury became an honorary defender. Um, that wasn't too much. This was a little bit before this, so yeah. But it's basically an equestrian academy under wraps, and, and they have like a little trouble alert room, and the um, artificial tree monitoring drive via electric eye. Ooh. So, and of course, there's a warning at the bottom. Special 50 is the issue feature not to be scrutinized by unscrupulous supervillains, so... <laughs> if you're bad, you should not be looking at this. But I used to always love those little uh, extras that are in there. Like that. That's one of the things I love about Treasuries is they, they throw a lot of those in there. Um, let's see. We see Leo and Sagittarius and Cancer kind of trying to formulate a strategy. Um, except for the Hulk, they're pushovers. So uh, Leo jumps over Valkyrie to get to um, Hellcat. So it's Leo versus the Cat Lady. That seems fitting somehow. Uh, Sagittarius is shooting uh, Valkyrie to no avail. The Hulk is wailing on the armored cancer. And Gemini, now that he has split into two personalities, uh, are arguing uh, about whose side they should be on, whether the Defenders and the Zodiac are going to win. And then he ends up favoring the Defenders. So now we have one guy observing, another guy sitting with them, and then a third guy who's on the Defenders' side. So... I don't think Scorpio's androids are quite working out the way he wanted. Mm, Clearly yeah. not. <laughs> um, then Libra says, my devotion to equity is satisfied, and thus I depart you. Um, you may accompany me if it suits you, Aquarius, and he's just out of there. And Aquarius is broken into the beer. He's hanging out and watching the show. Which I just think is the coolest thing. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, like you said, they're half-baked. You know, he's, they're all supposed <laughs> yeah. to be doing, you know, at uh, Scorpio's bidding. And he's like, yeah, hang out, have a beer, relax. Why? You know, why should I work so hard? Let everybody else do the work, right? <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I always wondered with this is, you know, I've never been much of a, uh, you know, horoscope person. But I always wondered, you know, are, are these like personality traits you're supposed to find for these individual signs? Did you know were they playing with that a little bit? Maybe I'm not sure. Uh, well, I I am a Scorpio, and apparently we're supposed to be uh, stubborn and temperamental. Um, I am too, and I and I resent you saying that. I well, I <laughs> guys, guys, hey, hey, guys, calm down here. I'm the Libra. I'm trying to remain balanced. Ten balance, okay? Ah, cool. screw your balance. I just think it's funny that everybody born in a certain month has to have the same personality. Yeah, I'm right. not, <laughs> I, I would not be a traditional uh, Scorpio then. I could be a traditional Hank Scorpio. That's different. Oh, you wish. <laughs> um, we get Leo fighting Hellcat. And this is a nice little uh, sequence here. Um, we get a really nice power move here where she digs her feet into him. Uh, the Hellcat is, is not defenseless, but uh, she's pretty hurt. She's almost paralyzed with pain, as she says. Um, Hellcat kicks uh, Leo into the death trap that we saw last uh, uh, issue. Good, that's good continuity. 
And then one of the Gemini twins closes the death trap, so Leo's off the off the board. So long, Leo. <laughs> um, Nighthawk keeps taunting uh, Ares, the ram, because um, he keeps coming after him, even though Nighthawk is flying around, and Ares is, you know, very clearly ground-based. Uh, he ends up smashing right into Aquarius and then plowing into a wall. Um, and then we get a little bit of banter with uh, Night, uh, Moon Knight and Nighthawk. Um, some slobs never learn from their mistakes. Shall we accelerate his education? Why not? And I guess um, in this, Moon Knight is kind of flying because he's taking the other side. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they have that much uh, momentum. I always thought he had more of a glide thing going on than a flying, but I'll, I'll allow it. Yeah, I was questioning <laughs> that as well. It, it didn't fit my memory of what his power set was, but... Uh... That doesn't mean my memory is accurate. Valkyrie and Sagittarius are still going at it. Sagittarius gets the heck out of there. And uh, Valkyrie swears vengeance. We shall meet again. So swears the Valkyrie. Um, so they're, they're kind of cleaning up. The Hulk kind of uh, breaks through a panel here to destroy cancer. I love that. Um, I love yeah. that. I think that's so well done. It's so so creative to kind of, you know, you have a, a nine-panel grid, but then you have two of the panels basically together, right, in the, you know, dead set in the center with the Hulk knocking the character down through the panel into the lower area. It, I'll it's hit just you so great. hard, I'll break your panel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Norris reminds uh, Moon Knight the Scorpio stone the loose and the Fury LMD. Now, we saw in the earlier uh, uh, issues Scorpio talking to the LMD as if Nick Fury were his brother. Um, maybe this LMD, maybe he actually is Nick Fury's brother. Maybe the LMD he kind of feels is a brother. Um, it's it's left kind of vague. It's not even, uh, you know, he calls him brother. And I don't know, in the original canon, he was supposed to be Nick Fury's bad brother. Uh, but I'm sure they've written that out by now. I mean... Nick Fury is Samuel L. Jackson now, so uh, <laughs> he's listening to Judy Garland playing Somewhere Over the Rainbow, and he kind of has this monologue. He's like, "I could use the Zodiac key to teleport out of here, but why? I would just um, be in the exact place where I am." But now, you know, um, the LMD offers him a beer. He says, "You dare offer me a beer now? Why? <laughs> why not?" Yeah, exactly. I mean. As long as it's not a bad beer, but, you know. <laughs> How very, very much like my brother. You've always despised me as a weakling. And the LMD says, you know, maybe your brother hated you, but I respect you. And you're my friend. So, and then Scorpio says, look, dude, I'm 42. It's all over for Or 52. It's all over for me. <laughs> I have nothing left to believe in or to live for, not even himself. So he's all like, like too many failed... Um, you know, capers or whatever. Uh, and even his revenge on his brother, you know, Nick Fury, uh, it's all futile, and he sees it now. And he says, Nick, give me your gun. And this is a nice nine-panel sequence here. See, again, with really cool backgrounds, um, the lighting, the, like, the kind of orange tint they give to the LMD in that light, and then the orange, like, face paint of Scorpio. And he asks Nick to hand over his gun in a uh, really good close-up. Nick hands his gun to him. Says a man must meet his final defeat with class, with panache. I'm sure one way to solve the world's problems and my own. Goodbye, Nick. And he shoots himself before the defenders can, you know, take him to justice or whatever. Um, 
I think they eventually said that that was an LMD as well and that he wasn't really dead. Of course they did. Because <laughs> that would take all impact out of the story at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. Especially, I mean, again, 1977, there's like, uh, I mean, this is not what I was expecting to read as a 10-year-old. You know, killing himself because of, uh, you know, almost sartre and angst, you know. <laughs> but as, as, a four, as a 14-year-old, I was all over this. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I love the art in it still. Um, yes. Oh, yeah. Anyway, but uh, just um, there's a nice uh, you know ending here where Norris and Moon Knight run down, and it made he made it look like the LMD had killed him, not himself. And that was the last thing the LMD could do for him. You know, not having you know everyone think it was a suicide. And uh, Moon Knight says, "Too bad. But who will miss a maniac like Scorpio anyway?" And Norris looks and says, "Uh, well." And the LMD very softly says, I will. Very cool. And next issue, the dynamic debut of the rinky-dink ringer. And just, you know, not to spoil, but in 51, there's a villain named the ringer who basically <laughs> just throws a lot of really gimmicked rings. Uh, Val, <laughs> Val goes to college. Valkyrie is hanging out with Dollar Bill uh, in the coffee shop at this point. Uh, Jack gets a job. Hulk eats a hot dog. All this and lots more fun galore. This, this was a fun era for this for this book. Although, frankly, even the eras later, you know, you talked about issues one through like seventy, and then you know afterwards it kind of went off track a little bit. Uh, you know, you started bringing in characters like Gargoyle, and you know, it, it, yeah. it went for a different kind of feel later on. But I, this entire run is is great as far as I'm concerned. I, I do prefer when they stay with the original group. You know, with with Hulk, Submariner, and Doctor Strange, and yeah. you could sprinkle in the Silver Surfer when it, when it, you can. But you know, we don't have any Submariner here. We don't have any Doctor Strange here, and it's still a, it's, as far as I'm concerned, this was a great book. I, this I, lineup I, of the Defenders almost. Remi- I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, go this ahead. Remind, this lineup of the Defenders almost reminds me of the lineup of the Avengers when it was Cap, Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver, and Hawkeye. Yeah, it's kind of they're going out on their own a little bit, and it's not quite the same superpowers. They don't really have a heavy hitter, so to speak, you know, like uh, Iron Man or whatever. Um, But I always liked, I was always drawn to, like, you know, the B and C level. That's why I love, you know, John Ostrander's Suicide Squad so much and, uh, you know, stuff like that. So, but I I always liked the, uh, I always liked the odd gathering you know the, the people who you don't really necessarily see fitting together well you know and it can go both ways i mean you have a group like the fantastic four where they kind of mesh perfectly and and that could be great but then when you have like i said the odd pairings uh it, it just usually makes for some fun contrast it's why i enjoyed uh champions so much you know having yeah. having a superhero t- team with the Her- with hercules the black widow ghost rider the angel and Iceman. i mean that's just a cool matchup you know <laughs> or oh, ma- totally. or better yet mashup I, I really enjoyed that book a lot too so the, you know the, this this is right up my alley and then you know they, they clearly were aware of that because you know then you'd have groups like the west coast avengers that did that a lot uh you know they, they definitely played with lineups that way and i i think it, it's to to the advantage for the reader so and, yeah, and this was, that was always the cool thing about defenders is they were a non-team you know that's the way they always played them off and they um they were like the avengers where they had to like you know they had the giant you know 
backing of Tony Stark or whatever. They must have, for the first 40 issues, they always met in uh, Sanctum Sanctorum, pretty much. Um, but, I mean, you think of all the different characters that have been defenders at certain points, and uh, this it's a lot, you know. And I, mean, I like the original lineup, too, of, of Strange, Namor, Hulk. They play off one, uh, well off one of another. Um, but as they went on with, like, Nighthawk, uh, I remember them fighting the Squadron Supreme, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a really big uh, throwdown. That was an awesome issue. The, there was a great uh, run where they went to the future with the Guardians of the Galaxy and fought the Badoon. Yep. Um, again, we mentioned earlier Avengers Defenders War. Um, there's so many really cool uh, storylines and runs um, in this comic. And I always, you know, I always thought, you know, Avengers was like your dad's group. And the X-Men were like all the cool kids with cool powers. <laughs> and I liked them, too. But the defenders were like, you know, what's left? <laughs> well, and, and I always enjoyed the idea of just, you know, and kind of go to that issue that you were talking about where, you know, they put the call out and everybody shows up to become a defender. I, I like the aspect that anyone could be a defender. And I also liked, and I put that in the past tense because of what I know has gone on in the last few years, the fact that the Avengers was more exclusive. You know, you couldn't just be an Avenger because you showed up. Uh, but they have changed that now. It's like almost every character at one point or another, or another has been an Avenger. Right. And, and I, I don't like that they watered that down. But but during this period, I mean, you had to be voted in. There were some people who were like, you know, um, provisional Avengers, like would just hang out with them and not even be Avengers. But I get what you mean. It was more codified for yeah. a lot of the groups back then than it was. I mean, for the Defenders, it'd be like, oh, you know, Moon Knight's going to be in these three issues. and He's Nova, a Defender now. <laughs> he's a Defender. You know, Nova shows up, you know, for a couple issues. And, um, you know, it's just, I, I always liked that aspect of it. Like, you never knew who was going to end up in the book. And he had a pretty cool base of people to start with. So Yeah, exactly. And, and I liked the fact that they were, separate and i enjoyed each of them for what they were uh you know i i don't know if it's more nostalgia that it's just that's the way it was when i was growing up and that's what i liked or it's just you know now there's been so so many issues that you know it's just become watered down i'm not sure yeah but anyway i I prefer the older stuff yeah i love i love this run i love this art i love the the way the story played out again kind of blew my mind as a kid I know I'm probably looking at it through nostalgia goggles, but I mean, I just I really like a lot of things about this issue as far as superhero comics. And I also I also just really really got a kick out of the way uh, that Craft uh, gave each of the, uh, the 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 villains you know kind of their own personality for Zodiac. Right. You know, and and some of them were, were you know some of them were silly. You had Aquarius there drinking beer. Uh, we didn't we didn't get actually all twelve. Yeah, I was gonna bring that up. Well, like, but that's because there was were, three. Of, yeah, three of them were cooked all the way. Yeah, so. exactly. Virgo got. She's hanging. You know, you just see her fingers hanging from the ceiling. Um, yeah. But you know, you, you had uh, Aquarius drinking beer. You had the uh, which which was the one that was kind of going back and forth on who to go with. Uh, Gemini. Gemini. You know, like the, yeah, so, Libra standing off to the side. Yeah. Uh, Ares kind of has a hunchback of Notre Dame look about him. Mm. You know, I, I just I thought the they were well drawn. They were just just you know fun, quick run villains. Uh, I was just I'm looking at this scene like after when uh, 
in the the panel or the page where the Hulk where the Hulk breaks the character through the panel. Uh, but the next shot is of uh, I'm trying to remember which which character. I guess it's Taurus. And he said, "Wow, I got a bad headache. <laughs> it's just cracking me up." And Nighthawk yeah. drops machinery on him from above. Uh, just just great stuff. And then you 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 add in this this Keith Giffen faux Kirby artwork. Uh, it's just beautiful. I, I I really just every aspect of this book I love. This was my first time reading it, and I had a blast with it. Uh, I, I uh, will be tracking down the uh, the two previous issues for sure, at the very least, so I can see the whole the whole storyline. But uh, yeah, there is something fun about seeing the uh, cast off characters or the lesser known characters getting to do their thing together and not be outshone by a, a Thor or a Captain America. I think this uh, creative team ran on for a few more issues after this as well. Yeah, All and right. then, Her- then Herb Trimpey took over the art, and mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember who took over the writing. But it, it was a long, uh, there was a long, after this, there was the gift, they do a story where they go into Russia, they meet the Red Guardian, they meet this, like, really uh, incredibly Kirby-esque thing called the Presence, which looks like a giant earbud Ooh. surrounded in Kirby dots with a face. Uh, <laughs> it's, they, it, goes, it went to some interesting places, you know. Yeah, it's just, again, it's just a fun series, and uh, it's it's just a shame they can't just keep going on like this. But well, you know, this this again, this I I I don't think I'm totally wrapped up in nostalgia on this. Although there is a nostalgic element to it, I I think it's more than that. I think it really is just the quality of what I remember. Well, I have no nostalgia to base it on, and uh, I had a really good time reading this. Uh, it's it's the concluding piece of an arc, so it's mostly punch up. Um, but I will not be complaining about that, especially the artwork is beautiful. Um, so yeah, I I have no complaints about about this issue. I had a really good time reading it, and uh, for as much dialogue as there is in this, it you know the the pace of the storytelling, man, this thing moved along at a clip. Yeah, it uses a lot of. Uh... 16 and 9 grid panel pages to really like get the action across and then kind of like these half splashes a few uh, a few places here and there. And we have that one double splash but I think it's a great splash. So it oh, feels, yeah. feels like a poster image. Uh they you know each one of them's kind of having their own moment in the double splash where they're thinking whatever it is is going on in their mind at that moment. And I mean boy if I could own that original piece of artwork. Yeah, I love it too. Uh, you want to rate it? Uh, I give it straight A's. I, I love the story. <laughs> I love the art. Again, I'm looking at it through uh, you know rose-colored glasses, but so be it. I just I've always I've always liked this run. I always liked the story. So I'm gonna My drop friend. the cover down to a B. I don't think yeah, the cover all, is quite as Melbourne, good. It's not as good. Yeah. It's you know it's it's not bad it's not a bad cover so I'll give it a B but it's just not uh, up to the level of what we get inside it it neither uh, it doesn't reflect the artwork as well and it doesn't give you an idea of what a good story you're gonna get so uh, I, I don't think the artwork on the cover kind of lives up to the rest of the issue so I'll give it the cover a B but the interior art I'm, I tell you I'm gonna give the interior art an A plus I love it I really do uh, and uh, the story I'll give an A. And then overall, I'll give it an A, averaging that all together. Uh, I would just go slightly lower than that. Um, I would probably, because the cover's not iconic, so I can't give it an A 
or a B plus, so I'll have to go with a B minus, um, just for my reasons and uh, reasoning on that. Interior art is definitely an A. It's it's gorgeous. It looks great, and uh, because I don't have the whole story and I only got this this final piece, uh, I gotta only go with a with a B plus for the story. Um, but if I had read the previous two issues, who knows? Um, so I don't know where that that probably puts me somewhere, you know, between B and B plus for the. Uh, for the issue, but uh, yeah, I think that's where I'm at. Just just another thought on it is usually, I mean, this issue is a lot of just fight action. Uh, it's it's mostly <laughs> the, the the very large majority of it is just a battle, and that's one of the areas where I think it's really well done. Is that I'm still re- ready to give the story an A, despite the fact that it's 90% action. Which what does it take to write action normally? You know, like that, it you know it could be fun, but it wouldn't really stand out. I just think some of the dialogue in here, and just some of the characterizations, and then ultimately where the story goes with with Scorpio and and the uh, suicide, uh, I just think it's you know it really brought it up a good couple of notches from where it could have been with a, a lesser deft hand writing an action issue. All right. So uh, that'll do it for today. I want to thank you both for coming on. And why don't we, as usual, take a couple of minutes so that you can tell everybody where they can find you. Go ahead. Okay, I, I will go first. Uh, well, I can be found on the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror that I co-host with Chris Honeywell and the Jack and Eddie brothers, Luke and Jay. Uh, I also do a podcast with Dave Atterbury and Jonathan Kreitz called Cast Protection, which covers the Netflix original series Stranger Things and related media. Oh. Uh, and, uh, when Scott McGregor and I have the time, we are usually, uh, talking about, uh, if we can, uh, the current superhero movies that come out and, uh, superhero TV, mostly focusing on Legion and Preacher at this point. Uh, and that is on Weekly Heroics that we, uh, that Pat Delmore is, uh, usually a guest host on, but that's where I'm usually found. Jim? Uh, the Taylor Network, uh, TaylorNetworkPodcast.com. You can find nothing's on. It's our weekly look at everything movie, TV, and geek. Uh, it's myself and uh, comedian Donnie Salvo and Daryl Taylor of you know Taylor Network. It's named after him, and we get together and talk the week's uh, you know movies and TV and, and you know kind of just stuff in entertainment news um, every week, every uh, weekend, week out. We've been doing it now. I think we just hit like 400 episodes or something. Nice. So, um, also, I'm on the Walking Dead TV podcast. That's at hhwlod.com. Uh, we've covered Fear the Walking Dead and The Walking Dead. We have since the very beginning. Uh, we're like number two or number three, must listen to Walking Dead podcasts. So I'm pretty happy about that. And uh, oldmagicgaming.com. You can check out uh, every week. I put out a uh, we basically what happens is we have uh, players from all over the world in our D and D group. Uh, we play a good three or four hour session. I cut that down into one hour bits with background music and sound effects and voice modulation to kind of turn into more of a radio play experience, kind of a theater of the mind. And uh, we do that every week with two different D and D campaigns. So every Friday we, we have a new podcast up. It's at allmagicgaming.com. Very cool. I feel like I was on for a long time. So. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> so once again, thanks a lot guys for coming on and thank you everybody for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show and see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. 
You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Good night, Mr. Robinson. <laughs>